0: Hello and welcome to Planet NOLA. I'm your host, Mary Jacobs. This is the podcast where I talk to people in New Orleans that I think are cool or just doing cool things around the city. Today, I have my good buddy, Tara Tolford, with me, urban planner, city planner, not city planner, urban planner. Correct. Um, does some really cool work. I-, I can't wait for you guys to learn more about what she does. I can't wait to learn more about what she does. It's a whole reason I have her here. I appreciate you being here. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here. Hell yeah. Okay, what's your
0: official title.
1: So I am a research associate and pedestrian and bicycle outreach coordinator at University of New Orleans Transportation Institute.
0: Okay, I'm going to tell you what I think <laughs> you do and I want you to tell me if I got it right. Great. Okay, for because following you for years, I think I understand it, but I don't know, you know, just seeing sort of what you post on the internet. Mm-hmm. You're are you tr- like keeping kind of numbers on pedestrian and public transit usage?
1: Yes, in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my like work over the last 10, 12, 14 years, it's been a while now, yeah. has focused on understanding Walking, bicycling, and transit in New Orleans, as well as statewide, to understand the trends, how things are changing, work on policy and design so that it can suck less for everybody who's getting around. Uh, in addition to another a, a number of other urban planning initiatives that aren't so specific to the biking and walking, uh, but that's definitely been a big part of it. And so, you know, how I often describe, how I used to describe what I did to people is, yeah, I sit on the side of the road and count bikes, uh, right. which is a little simplistic, but has. Historically, been a pretty big part of it is just getting some numbers because we don't have a lot of data about this.
0: I didn't realize it was like all Louisiana.
1: So, in the last few years, we've taken the work that we did in New Orleans and the state, DOTD, to their credit, uh, their research arm, the Transportation Research Center, recognized like, oh, like we're doing good work in New Orleans. How can we scale that up to the rest of the state that is, you know, just as terrible in terms of safety outcomes and this kind of stuff. How can we do better? So they hired us to help work on some of those pieces. So we've been getting there. Hell, yes. Yeah. So I feel like the stuff you're doing is to
0: make roads safer for pedestrian, basically people, non-driving people. Anybody people that,
1: who's not in their own personal steel cage. Yeah. Right,
0: exactly. And it just feels like this is a thing that should have a lot of funding. And it seems like it's a it thing we don't. Yeah, we don't really even talk about or consider it. It's like so many people don't have access to their own car.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's seventeen, eighteen percent of households in New Orleans right now. That's a and lot. It's a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. It's it's you know one out of every five people you know pretty much doesn't, doesn't have a car. car. Yeah. Um, so that's it's a disproportionate amount of money in terms of the need that there is. Although that's starting to change. Uh, yay, new infrastructure bill. We're looking at. Potentially more money being available to start to do something about it. What are some projects you've worked on specifically that you've got to see in the city? Kind
0: of like the work you're doing. Do you Mm -hmm. see like do you get to see like stuff change because of the work you're doing?
1: I mean, I like to think we're at least like a little tiny part of it. Like there's Uh lots of people who are responsible for actually getting stuff done. But absolutely. So like back in the day, you remember like Esplanade used to be four Motor vehicle lanes, and Mm -hmm. they were really skinny. I got hit there on my bike by somebody who just couldn't be bothered to shift lanes. Like I'm in the right lane, and they're just like, "I'm just gonna like plow right through you." (laughs) Uh, And then they fixed it a couple years later. They, you know, added the bike lanes. Like you start to see these changes in the network, and there have been lots of cases where it has made a just a tangible impact on my life personally, which is great because I have this career that has allowed me to like personally improve my own (laughs) light like risk of dying has gone down significantly since i have been doing this work which is very rewarding so you can feel it yeah absolutely that's what's
0: up i feel like sometimes in these kinds especially research it's like you're getting numbers, getting numbers, getting numbers, and then like maybe you
1: don't get the tangible thing. Yeah. For I a mean, it's long slow. Time. It's really slow. Like and it only works because I've been doing it for so long that you're able to see. Like maybe you're counting bikes at the same location year after year after year, and nothing's really changing. But then finally, it connects to something else. Like Gentilly Boulevard is one of those where the numbers weren't going up until finally some stuff connected to it, mm-hmm. and now you could actually get somewhere if you were riding your bike on Gentilly. Right. And then suddenly it shoots up. Um, I see so many bikes on Gentilly Boulevard. Oh, now. absolutely!
0: That I mean, that is a scary place to ride still, just because of the people driving like it, yes. jerks. Yeah. It's really because people treat it like a highway.
1: Yeah, and we're in this place now where it's like, okay, we built some bike lanes. Cool. What's the next step? Because we're not. It's it's an improvement, but we're not there yet. There's still a lot of work to do. People still drive like maniacs.
0: I know. It's like a lot of it is the work you have to do with the drivers, mm-hmm. but drivers aren't listening.
1: But you can't one of the one of my favorite sort of philosophical things from this work is at, with the Dutch idea of sustainable safety, which is generally the idea that you can't fix people. Like they're they're gonna be dumb, they're gonna be assholes. Right. So you need to build infrastructure that reduces <laughs> their ability to kill you when they screw up or are, you know, intentionally trying to run you over. Yeah, so like you be... can mitigate
0: that harm right, right, by right. building it right that makes sense that makes sense and i'm glad that that there's at least some people in the world that are doing the work you're doing i feel like especially in this city where it's such a driving city mm-hmm. people especially if you have a car you just quite literally forget about the 17 percent of households that don't have that it's true and so i'm not regularly thinking about infrastructure for pedestrians mm-hmm. do you know what i mean and I should be as a community member here thinking about it more and more aware of it like Mm -hmm. more aware of initiatives that are happening i mean when the bike lanes went up i was like oh wow finally like Mm -hmm. it it, it, just because i'm not a biker here Mm -hmm. but i was in philly Mm -hmm. when i lived in philly but here it's like i i it scares me when Kristen even just goes on a casual bike ride Mm -hmm. because i'm like people don't know how to act around bicyclists and now we have more bike lanes than ever and i feel great about that but there needs to be people giving a shit like you guys give a shit. And for they, sure. And I like you say, it. you know,
1: this is a driving city and that's true. Like almost every city in the south is a driving city fundamentally. But it didn't start that way. New Orleans right. was something else before that. A lot of our roads were built for bikes, actually. Really? And, yeah. Like St. Charles Avenue was in part paved because of the, the bike enthusiasts of the early 20th century. No way. Uh, yeah, they were they were gung ho about it. Uh, but could
0: you imagine if St. Charles right now was just for bikes?
1: There's a street in Amsterdam where it used to be just like a regular four-lane road, and then they like narrowed the space for cars over time, and now it's just transit there's a streetcar that runs down the middle like a nice grassy streetcar area and then it's just like bike cycle tracks and wide sidewalks there's no space for cars at all like they eventually were just like ah eh, we don't need you on this road that's, so it's it's possible that's epic
0: <laughs> it's not possible because uptown is such a shit show they don't have any streets <laughs> there's no streets left so yeah need, I to to see. See. <laughs> not there but maybe in other spots they've been always talking about making the quarter a pedestrian mall which is its own thing you, mm-hmm. Is this like a real initiative, or is this just like a whisper thing around the world? Do you know about this? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, mostly it's just sort of an idea. Like, there have been parts of the corridor that are pedestrianized for a very long time right. now. Like you Royal know, Street. Bourbon and Royal mm-hmm. and, you know, Jackson Square right. once upon a time had cars on it, too. Oh, um, really? Yeah, but that makes sense. It, there are significant economic benefits to not giving up all of your public space to people parking their cars and slowly, slowly driving them, especially now when it's all Ubers and Lyfts everywhere. Uh, you, there. You know, studies have shown that, like, you actually make a lot more money if you have foot traffic. Like, that's what drives business is people around on the street. Uh, so. Surprise, surprise.
0: <laughs> also, I bet it would be nice if there were, like, people actually living in all the homes down there making it a real neighborhood. Yeah, like, that would be great. And it would feel a significant amount safer because there would be people on their porch, you, you know. And of course there are the odd people who have bought at a smart time but mm-hmm. for the most part you go past blocks of houses that are closed because
1: they're not mm-hmm. in town. Yeah, and you and you increasingly see that not just in the French Quarter yeah. too. Like that's one of my uh, th- th- one of my like bike stories that I'm sort of working on and want to do a deeper dive into is the Marigny. You know, I used to live in the Marigny back when I started this gig mm-hmm. with the bike counting. That was one of our that initial house, spots. Right? I had a few spots in oh, the okay. we moved around. I've been to, I've been to <laughs> one
0: spot you guys had a couple times for parties, it was mm-hmm. like right by the tracks. Mm-hmm. Kind of right. Uh,
1: yeah, that's the Montague Street. House. The Montague Yeah, House, I was on yeah. music. I was on Burgundy. I was I You're was everywhere. in the ab- area for a while, so I was watching it change as it was happening. And the Maroney used to be like the hot spot for biking and walking. Yeah, uh, like that was you know known. That was a thing. But we've been counting bikes there almost every year since 2010, and every single year the number of bikes we count has gone down. Dang. That's the only location where that's true, and it's not because like you know people stopped biking in new orleans it's because nobody lives there anymore and all the artists and creatives and grad students don't live there anymore because they can't afford it they can't afford it they can't afford it It, it, that's one of the reasons i do this
0: podcast is because to like people love new orleans because it's full of artists and they love Mm. the culture but like when you price out the people that make mm-hmm. it cool, what you get is like a capitalist watered down version of the mm-hmm. French Quarter and the Marigny where there are no artists living, no people that are making the cool things. Mm-hmm. And you just put us in these tiny little pockets at this one market or that one market. Right. And it's like we don't get to like live and create and make it special. Like We're a lot more restricted when our rent goes up or we get pushed out of the neighborhood where we've mm-hmm. been living. It's like, oh God, it's so depressing. And like, uh, yeah, I don't know it just makes me think about the whole greater picture which is like the culture bearers the people that you that make this place so interesting mm-hmm. are the ones that are constantly being sacrificed mm-hmm. to the development of the city and to the tourism of the city.
1: Yeah, and I think we're at a really important moment right now where we can just let that keep happening and accelerating cuz covid just like ramped it up times 10 with the number of people who are leaving town or we can make a really concerted effort to do something about it. Yeah. And so far I'm not seeing the like political enthusiasm for the doing something about it, but I really hope that that changes because if not, we're headed for kind of a dark period in this city that we love so much.
0: I think it's affecting so many people and it's like, it's such a subversive thing. It's like one person loses their housing then maybe a couple months later another person does because it's happening in so many small bubbles Mm -hmm. it's like affecting people in in such a personal way Mm -hmm. that it's like lacing people together to be like hey this is a greater trend Mm -hmm. like what can we all do and i don't have the answers you know like i love Mm -hmm. talking to people like you i really want somebody to come on from like jane place and the renters rights Mm -hmm. assembly places like that because I think they are trying to start the conversation and to mm-hmm. and have initiatives um, to get people in homes. It's, mm-hmm. It really is just comes down to housing, right? Like. Yeah, no one's living in the neighborhood, so no one's biking in their neighborhood
1: because they're probably having to drive from Gentilly or wherever they're living now. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that as like lower income folks are having to live further and further out where there's crappy transit and there's no bike lanes. And so now they have to have a car note and that on average costs keeps people you, like $9,000 a year to own a car. Keeps so you poor. Keeps yeah. you poor.
0: Yeah, it's built with intention. And I think. People don't want to put it in those words. And they don't realize that, like, this, yeah, people are getting gentrified out of their neighborhoods. But the ramifications of gentrification aren't just, oh, they have to move farther away. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, everything goes up the moment they move further away. Even if their rent goes down or stays the same, Mm -hmm. you've now put even more barriers in place for this person to be able to be secure or, or move around the world. It sucks. It does. Well, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Do you work with the public transit system at all? Do you? I do
1: uh, not. You know, d- directly, but we. I am on the board of Ride New Orleans, and I like chair up their policy committee where we just like talk about these issues all the time. Uh, and I really think you know, even though a lot of my work has focused on bikes, and that's sort of the most public facing side, like. I think transit is 10 times more important. I think that that's the backbone of having a good city is you need to have effective transit. And we have made huge strides in New Orleans, and we're in a really promising, optimistic moment where, in theory, we're about to implement a whole new network, basically. The Mm. New Links plan is supposed to come into effect fully later on this year that will ideally make it faster and easier for people to get places. And it specifically is like equity-focused and saying this is places where people are actually taking transit and where they actually need to go. Right. So like maybe we ax the line in Lakeview because nobody's taken it. Yeah. Um, but we're going to put that money into, into somewhere where it's, it's going to be needed. Yeah. So I'm really am feeling very optimistic about that. But again, it's a big question of political will. Are we going to implement it? Is you know one well-connected person going to complain, and suddenly everything gets undone? We've already started to see that happen in some places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the transit piece, I think is, you know, if you want to have a great city where people don't have to drive, having a great bike city is amazing and we should definitely do that, but it doesn't work if you don't have a backup plan for the days when it's raining and somebody can take the bus instead. Exactly. That makes so much sense. I'm
0: going to be honest, my entire life, RTA... Whenever somebody asks me when they come in town, they ask me, Oh, should I take the bus? I'll be like, Nah, don't take the bus. (laughs) They'll never show up. You're you're SOL. You're going to be waiting at that stop for a while. But I haven't taken public transit since I was like seven. So, besides the streetcars, obviously, Mm -hmm. I've popped on those many a time. But. The, the the buses have such a bad reputation. Like it's I've been, been spouting this my whole life. And what do
1: I know anymore at this point? And we got to get you on a bus. It's I, it's not so bad. Interesting. OK, tell me about it. So I, I moved here in 2003 and the, you know, Buses were sort of a mystery to me mm. then. The first bus I ever got on in New Orleans, it happened to be on Mardi Gras Day. We were trying to get downtown. <laughs> there was zero information about the fact that actually they were just going to stop in the middle of Central City and kick everybody off, and then you're on your own, figure it out. Uh, it, you know, we had actually really robust bus service back then, but uh, it still was pretty tough to use. This is pre Katrina. Pre Katrina, yeah. After Katrina, it was 50,000 times worse. It was garbage and I have been in New Orleans now 19 years and never owned a car don't Mm -hmm. drive Uh, so I had to figure it out Um, and it has improved dramatically from the actual experience of being on the bus like they're generally pretty clean and nice-ish now and Mm -hmm. air-conditioned and everything and yeah you get as I very, you know, historically have called it, you get bus fucked from time to time. <laughs> uh, where you're waiting and you like, it, your time for the bus has come and gone and you're still there and you had an appointment you were supposed to get to and it's just not happening anymore. It happens, but it happens a lot less now, in part because of technology. Now you can just like look at the app on your phone it and see the where the bus is. Whoa. Um, it's I, not 100%, but like, whoa, but still. It's, it's enough to that really feels improve. Not new situations. I mean, it's it's literally every other city. We were kind of last, but we got okay, there. OK, uh, that checks out. That checks out. I was like, dude, this sounds really advanced for us. I'm impressed. Yeah, so that's, you know, technology really helps, because just having information makes a huge difference. And reliability is still like, oh, you know, we got some work to do. COVID didn't help because there've been staffing issues for a year and a half, and yeah. it's been it's been a mess. And I think everybody's had a little bit of a sense of grace about that, of like, yeah, well, you know, pandemic uh, is
0: being a bus driver in New Orleans like a good career. Like, did I, I it mean, take it's care a it's a you? decent union got job. The binnies,
1: got the bennies, got mm-hmm. the bennies. Yes, That's what's it's, up. it's it's always been a good union job, but it's not like I'm sure it's not fun. to no. drive around eight the, hours a day. Yeah, uh, so they've had they've had issues with getting enough people who have their CDL licenses and can right. be a bus operator. Like it takes a while to to get there um so they've got i feel like as it should right yeah yeah, you want you want people who know what that's
0: something that needs a little (laughs) bit of certification when i was in college i was allowed to be a dental assistant like out of nowhere Isn't that wild? No certifications needed whatsoever to be a dental assistant. I don't think I
1: want a college kid in my teeth.
0: Thank you. OK, <laughs> I I kept when I when they're like, you got the job. I was like, how? Like, in what world do I get this job? I'm an English major. You I know? mean, you've been
1: brushing your teeth your whole life, presumably. So <laughs> close enough.
0: but that for me was the first time that I was like, huh, there's probably a lot of jobs that have absolutely no training mm-hmm. or no like education required Mm -hmm. and there are some that you really they should and I was thinking a dental assistant should really have Mm -hmm. some training and like some sort of cert I would hope you know, to, I mean, at our gym, all of our trainers have to have certifi- mm-hmm. certifications to train people. Mm-hmm.
1: In Louisiana, I just read an article about how we license, like, freaking everything. Every profession you could possibly have, there's a license for it. Well, because like, it's a way to make money. Exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where does that money go? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Who knows? But yeah, a bus driver is definitely one of the ones where I'm like, it's good that they have to go through a little mm-hmm. hoops with that, because that's a big vehicle to be driving. Yes, indeed. I've been on a bus in New York once that side a car. Ooh. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this thing is huge, and we're in New York. I don't mm-hmm. even understand how anyone could drive anything like this in mm-hmm. New York.
1: I see people drive crazy around buses all the time, like cutting, making a right turn in front of a bus as oh it's about to go through the intersection constantly. All the time. <laughs> all the time.
0: People are such jerks. You, know, you realize that thing is really big, right? If it hits you, you're the one who's going to mm-hmm. be SOL. Mm-hmm. So would you say that the reputation is deserved or...
1: So I would say that anybody who rides the bus has every right to have some complaints. I frequently am emailing RTA with like a whole list, uh, and am disappointed when they don't immediately address <laughs> every one of them. But. I would say that most people who don't take the bus probably have an unrealistic idea of how difficult and hard it is. Like, it's really not that bad. You can, unless you're trying to go to Jefferson Parish or anywhere outside of Orleans, then it really is tough. Interesting, um, yeah, because
0: you've got to switch and you got to switch and...
1: systems. And then you got to pay your fare again. And the Jefferson Parish system is really underfunded and doesn't go to a lot of places. So it's it's really tough That's if you're surprising. trying to commute regionally without a car but within orleans parish itself it's not bad what's the bus fare uh buck 25. that's what the streetcar is yeah it's the same and you know day pass for three dollars if you're you know trying to take the ferry and go to the west bank or whatever or take like six buses in one day uh, so it's cheap. Uh, How'd you get here today? I actually got a ride today okay. because my partner was like I need to get make my son go outside. It's beautiful. It's so pretty. I like they're I think over there at uh, Mildburg right now oh, uh, throwing a frisbee and stuff. Sweet. And also I was like it's Sunday. If I try to take the bus it's gonna take a while. So That's so real. Uh, <laughs> well, I thought maybe you biked. I was like it's a pretty day for a bike ride. It would be a beautiful day for a bike ride. I so I live in sort of deep Bywater water now like oh, pull yeah, in the st. Yeah, Claude yeah, area yeah. and go over the overpass. connections over the the railroad are not awful, good awful, uh, so yeah, it I'm could glad. have been a beautiful day for a bike ride like up along city park and then loop back over yeah, here
0: that's long and then that you go sit down long, and so. do an interview it's a yeah. lot
1: and also i live across the street from a giant
0: open field so it's, exactly. it's pretty nice so it to, to run a kid around and tire them out mm-hmm. that's what's up so you don't have a car you haven't had a car ever, ever here mm-hmm. do you recommend that to people?
1: If you are in the privileged position of having the kind of job where it is okay if sometimes you're late, and maybe, you know, since COVID, I've been able to work from home, Mm -hmm. still have time. And so I don't have really intense demands of a lot of places that I have to be at specific times. A lot of people don't have that luxury and they still don't have cars and they still have to get to places. Um, But for, you know, folks of, a sort of type of professional class where there's some flexibility it's really not hard Yeah. as long as you've got somebody whose car you can borrow when you want to go camping or something like that you gotta yeah. be able to get out of town you have to but make friends you, gotta, you have gotta have friends no yeah at one point like most of my friends didn't own a car oh, and no. so then we'd be like well how do we go to the beach like we gotta yeah. figure this out like um, a rent a car for like if day. somebody could please finish that dang train so we could all go to the beach without a car dude
0: is that train really happening I think it might it, wait, I I think, explain the train what's the line so
1: the gulf coast rail would be the one that goes from here to mobile that's like in process there's like almost nothing stopping it except maybe some politicians in mobile everyone from here to there is like yeah let's do it yeah um you know the the new administration is very pro amtrak so there's there's money available there's you know things are in the works so that one is like Pretty far along, and supposedly is going to happen this year. I Whoa. think that's not likely, but I would say maybe it'll happen next year. Like it's, nothing is currently stopping it. That's
0: so cool. Mm-hmm. More train lines, like, mm-hmm. and just-
1: hopefully to follow the one from here to Baton Rouge, go in the other direction. Uh, that's been we've been talking about that for, ever. Wait, uh, the city
0: of New Orleans doesn't go to Baton Rouge.
1: It sure does not.
0: Whoa. Yeah, if you want to go
1: to Baton Rouge, you have to take the Greyhound, the Flix bus, or the Megabus, none of which are great options uh, because you're still stuck in traffic once you get to Baton Rouge.
0: It's so heartbreaking that our nation ripped up all the rail lines in Mm -hmm. order to sell more cars because it is so obvious that train transit is the way of the future. It's the way of a giant. Metropolitan I'm like It's gonna sound so This is gonna sound so cheesy But I love Walt Disney Um, I mean I don't love everything About Walt there Disney There used to be A train to Orlando Don't get me wrong Yes and What I loved about Walt Disney Not his like Anti-Semitism or anything But what I love about him Is that He was really innovative And he Thought about The future of transit And this mm-hmm. really I don't know if you know about it him and his love of trains no. so walt disney loves trains and the monorail at disney world uh-huh. he had proposed to big cities i can't remember which cities now but it was like multiple cities building monorails in their city the same exact pattern of the one at walt disney mm-hmm. and putting and think about it it's a raised train on one track and it, it's huge it moves tons of people at once he was like in the process of urban planning in these cities and of course people didn't want to fund it because of they knew they would be losing money <sighs> mm-hmm. for the private industry and it, he was trying to propose this piece of public transit that could move people in a way that's efficient, fast, takes mm-hmm. up, has a small footprint, you uh-huh. know? Like if you've ever been in Disney, the monorail has a really small footprint yeah. and it moves people fast, and a lot of them. And it's like, I've seen the infographs of like, how many people can fit in this many cars? How many people can fit on one bus? How mm-hmm. many people can fit on a train in an hour? All the people. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Like, it is wild to me that it's not, more of a thing
1: absolutely that's kind of like my like my passion in terms of urban planning is public space and how we use it and how we waste most of it and mm-hmm. transportation can be such a big part of that like you can have really efficient ways to get people from point a to point b that don't take up acres and acres and acres and acres of pavement that makes our flooding problems worse and makes oh my our god i know yeah especially worse.
0: here right exactly yeah we have to build green spaces here to catch water it's mm-hmm. like Come on, guys! Like, don't we not want this place to flood? Like, exactly. Like, I
1: think that the statistic is like a third to a half of publicly owned land in any city is the streets. Like, that's what we've got to work with. So, if you're not like thinking about your streets as a place where you can address all of your sort of civic issues, you're you're missing the mark. You're messing
0: up. Um, Tara, we have to take a break. All right, we right back. This week's episode of Planet NOLA is brought to you by Vitality Community Fitness, a group training facility located in Metairie, Louisiana. Vitality prioritizes their members with accessible workouts for anybody any gender, any size, any ability. I'm a little biased because I do co-own this business, and I got to say we've got one of the best communities around, really great coaches, really good vibes. So if you're interested in trying out our gym, go to our website, vitalitycommunityfitness.com, click the contact form, and you get three free classes in a week. So come check us out. We are back to Planet Nola. I'm your host, Mary Jacobs. I'm here with my friend Tara. We've been talking about infrastructure in New Orleans, which when you said it like that, it's like boring. But if you've been listening, this has been like the most interesting conversation (laughs) about infrastructure I've ever had in my entire life. Excellent. I feel like I've learned so much in such a short amount of time. Um, We had been talking about earlier about how you're now doing this world where you're working with, you know, urban planning and, like, environmental water. You, yeah. How do you explain it?
1: So, you know, I've worked been working in transportation from that side of things for a very long time. But over the last few years, I've also been working on the climate adaptation and water management side, you know, got a certification in green infrastructure and some things like that. And my goal is to merge those two. Like, why are we not doing both at once? Why can we not kill two birds with every, you know, dollar stone that we're throwing at them to... Mm-hmm. Manage our existential crisis as a city, which is the you know the water and the flooding and the fact that 30 years from now, when my mortgage is finally paid off, is like, my house going to be my there? house going to be here? Yeah. Uh, so I, I, that's once again, I have a very self interested uh, career focuses here of like I would like to preserve this city, uh, yeah, and water is a big part of that. So managing yeah. the, the that side of the infrastructure is critical.
0: Yeah, I mean, self interest is. That just means you found your passion like Mm. what you're describing is what you're passionate about and thank god what you're passionate about is gonna like help a lot of us i hope so you know (laughs) like what a nice thing to be able like yeah it's self-interested i want my house to be here in 30 years but it's Mm -hmm. also like i want your house to be here in 30 years and i want the city to be here in 30 years i I feel the same exact way dude i struggle so much with what you were just saying like i we want to own a home right Mm -hmm. and and it's obviously a dream to own a home in the city i'm from but Number one, I can't afford it because mm-hmm. of the way it's trending. And number two, I'm like, I, even if I could afford the amount that people want for houses in my neighborhood, I remember Katrina and I'm mm-hmm. like, guys, you all guys remember these houses all had 10, 15 feet of water, right? Like, mm-hmm. and you remember you, you're paying half a million dollars for this. You know that like 15 years ago, like, y'all know this, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's sad to think of it that way. It's sad to be like, that seems like a bad investment when it's like I don't want to think that about my city, you know. At
1: some point, it's just you—it's a leap of faith, and you just do it exactly. because you believe in it, and then you got to commit to doing the work. It's so
0: real. <laughs> it's so real. It's like that's what I, I mean. I, eventually, I'm sure we will do it, and we'll bite the bullet. But I, I'm going to be terrified. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be so scared. I'm like, oh, is it going to happen again? But the the we were talking a little bit about the infrastructure thing. That it was the Resilience District that mm-hmm. was a thing in Gentilly for a while. And if you're listening, Resilience District people. <laughs> what the heck where you been like I've picked up
1: the pace a little here yeah
0: so th- this was this thing that was proposed like it feels like a decade ago at this point where they were taking parts of they're specifically starting it in my neighborhood mm-hmm. and they were making these like tiny kind of rain garden situations almost where they're making re- planting really water absorbent plants in places where there's concrete or in places like abandoned lots mm-hmm. and they took. I think they took the old convent too, maybe. The Mirabu Water Gardens. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's supposed to be all these different caps of curbs. They're supposed to be mm-hmm. fixing those up. And it just feels like I love the idea of that. It's like, well, mm-hmm. oh, let's have more green space to absorb more water. Like what you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. it's like we've got all this cement and it, this is our problem. So mm-hmm. like how can we fix this, you know? And there are cities that have done it. Like, I, doesn't Amsterdam have, like, a really good... They uh, yeah, flood the too. Netherlands
1: have been on this game for a while in terms of, you know, we're not gonna just keep paving over everything. Denmark, Copenhagen has done a lot. They have these crazy cloudburst storms that just dump, like, 10 inches of water on them, and they flood. So they're like, hey, we gotta work on this. And so they've been doing a lot of that work by Whoa. creating all this underground storage space that there's infiltration through green infrastructure, and it looks beautiful. It also makes the streets, like, wonderful places to Denmark be. Denmark is so Cool.
0: It's nice. I talked about it on Charlie's episode. I don't know if you listen to his episode. Oh, I haven't yet. But we talked about bike stuff a lot. And mm-hmm. when I went to Denmark, I rode bikes there and it was... It's so great. The and most, you don't wear a helmet and the, you feel so free. The most incredible experience. <laughs> like you're so safe. Mm-hmm. And it has, you have your own light and everything. And the fact that they have this like epic water system mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me. I've often said if I could have just been born somewhere else, it would be anywhere in Denmark. Mm-hmm.
1: I will say that, you know, New Orleans has a plan. We have the urban water plan that is very much modeled after the Netherlands or, you know, oh, Copenhagen. Cool. And there's it's full of projects and ideas and like principles about just completely reframing our relationship to water to be a more you know resilient resilience is kind of a dirty word but right. like, to be a city that can survive
0: but the uh. definition applies you know like uh-huh. we know what the word resilient means and where it applies but exactly. we're just sick of people overusing it for right. us
1: yeah. <laughs> but we could get there and you know the Gentilly Resilience District is sort of drawn from that plan with the idea of like, ah, we don't have enough money to implement this whole plan. You know, you never have enough money to implement a whole plan, but we're going to start here, and this will be the pilot that is the model for everything here on out. Uh, So there's you know, I'm very excited to see the results, and there have been some results, like the Community Adaptation Program has been individual homeowners doing individual interventions on their property, and that's, that's amazing. It is fantastic, and it's You know, all those little individual interventions add up, but the big projects are like still stuck in the 80% design for what feels like years now. So I'm really hoping that we'll start to see those actually get built. And once they are, then we can say, hey, like we can evaluate does this work the way we intended it to? Like, is it really having an impact? How can we make it better? How can we do it everywhere and not make it this special project that we only do in one place? Right. So that's what we would like to see is that this needs to be institutionalized, like make it part of city code, make it part of, you know, all development henceforth must abide by these rules. You know what I love about you, Tara? (laughs) (laughs) What's that?
0: I love that you are doing this work in the city and you're doing it from a place of just you love it here. Mm-hmm. Like you're a little Mardi Gras monster. Yes. I see you every year. You go ham on your costume. Like you came here for you're one of the people that came here for college and was like, well, I live here now. Yes. You never left. You're genuinely somebody who did the thing. Like you fell in love with the place and you're like, this is my community. But you since day one been like, OK, this is my community. I'm part of a community. And the work you're doing is like so community centered.
1: Really, it's been since like, I don't know, day 800 or whenever it is that Katrina happened. That was yeah. really the moment when it turned from like, oh, I'm a student pursuing art history at Tulane and I'm going to move back to Portland when I'm done to be like, no, this is my place this and is my I must place. defend it.
0: You got you got trauma
1: bonded. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it means a
0: lot to me and like I think it like I'm so happy that you're here talking because I think people should know you. They should know the work you're doing first and foremost, like and mm-hmm. that it is work that's happening here. It is. And and We should care about it. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, I was like, I kept being like, I need to have Tara on because I need to understand what Tara is doing. And Mm -hmm. like, I'm so glad that I have a better understanding of it because we all need to have a better understanding of this because it is Mm -hmm. literally the future of our city, the future of people. Also, it's incredibly anti-capitalist, which I love. It's really (laughs) getting me going. I talk about it all the time on this podcast. It's like the most anti-capitalist New Orleans podcast there is. (laughs) Excellent. Um, But yeah, it's, it's such beautiful work. And it's like, So so much of us absorb all the beauty and great stuff of New Orleans, which I know you do, but we don't remember that there is an actual community we have to protect and serve. For sure. Sounds very cop-like, but you know what I mean? (laughs) And you're really really doing that in, in your work.
1: And what you give a shit about, just generally. Well, I hope that it eventually, you know, it pays off and we can I see. I think it already results. is.
0: Yeah. I think it already is. That's why I was asking you, like, have you been able to see? It's gotten better. Yeah. yeah. Things, yeah. Are, things are getting better. I think that it's also just going to be an ebb and flow. You know, mm-hmm. like maybe there'll be less bicyclists in the Marony, but maybe we can build out the Ninth Ward mm-hmm. infrastructure and, like, yeah. We, we need to invest
1: in our people. and yes. Invest in the people who need it the most where they are.
0: And the people that are living here full time, mm-hmm. not the people that are visiting or the right. fair weather tourists who own houses. It, it,
1: th- this is
0: where i've been like just burned up especially since i started this podcast it's really just i've learned so much about how our city has been prioritizing the visitor in a way that has left so many of us in the dust Mm -hmm. and obviously i love the tourism industry i worked in it i sold art i i've i've benefited from the tourism industry of our city but we really have to pressure our city to prioritize us sometimes because of that industry just being the bread and butter of everything in town
1: absolutely and
0: this is that this is that work you know because this is about the people that are living here and mm-hmm. like working here and going to school and hospitals and need access to the city in a real way
1: mm-hmm.
0: not just tourists that want to take a streetcar down rampart
1: exactly does it, it, that streetcar line <laughs> they never reopened it from the hard rock collapse uh it's still closed. It's still closed. Uh, I think they said early next year. So apparently when, the, you know, remember when the crane went upside down and went into Rambart Street, it oh, messed up yeah. a bunch of stuff. So they yeah. had some, like, they basically had to rebuild the whole, like, infrastructure for the streetcar line to bring it back on. Uh, and I don't think it was really super prioritized, which, to RTA's credit, because they're like, we got other stuff to worry about right now. Right. We'll get to that streetcar when we get to it. Yeah, that streetcar <laughs> already didn't make any freaking sense
0: to me. Yeah.
1: Streetcars I... are lovely. They're very pleasant. But, like, that's not how... People who are trying to get to work are getting around for the most part, with the exception of Canal, which people think all the streetcars are just tourists. But, the you know, Canal Street is just like a lifeline of the city and people are commuting on that.
0: Yeah, a lot of people commute on that. I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's so real. I, I think I see people commuting on the St. Charles one. Do you oh, always absolutely. see waiters in their little oh, things going down? Oh, yeah, I used down. to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah When I was
1: waiting to. tables, I was, I was taking just that thing It's so every slow. Sometimes you would walk three miles home, like thinking like, I'll just get on the streetcar when it gets to me, but it never gets it to It never you, gets there. You <laughs> just walk all the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's so real. The streetcar is gorgeous. But whenever they add a new streetcar line, I'm like, (sighs) <sighs> it's just so slow. And you know it's mostly for the tourists when they add a streetcar line because it's so freaking cute. It doesn't
1: do a lot for people who are disabled, have mobility issues. Right. That They're like are so to hard places. to access, right? Mm-hmm. They have to have something, right? So a couple of years ago, they finally, as a result of lawsuits, uh, <laughs> as a result of the advocacy work of, I think you knew, jo- jo- Jonah Jonah, uh-huh. Jonah, yeah, Jonah, uh, yeah. Finally, they said, okay, we are going to make some streetcars and some stops Wheelchair accessible. And they finally did that, um, which, woo, but good. like <laughs> some streetcars and some stops. Wow. So, like, you Bare. might have to wait an hour or two minimum. for your accessible streetcar, but it's progress. And my understanding is they, they do plan to keep building on that. It's just As a they real should. slow process. They're just going to keep getting sued if they don't. Right. It shouldn't be that
0: friggin' hard. Mm-hmm. Man, Jonah was such an interesting person. What a beautiful, what a beautiful fucking soul. Absolutely. Comedian,
1: advocate. Like, he was a good dude. Did it
0: all. And was like such an advocate for the disabled community in New Orleans. And Mm -hmm. like, man, he went hard at Mardi Gras too. I'd always see him out there. (laughs) Yeah, that's so funny. He's a little before my time. That was like when I was away and coming back, you Mm -hmm. know, but I obviously knew who he was and what he was doing. Um, There are so many people like that in this city that I've just like, even when I wasn't here, I was just Mm -hmm. like seeing them do stuff. And now I'm asking them all to be on my podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. It's nice to like be in a community and caring about it and finding other people that do Mm -hmm. you know it feels so much better than the alternate like people that come here and don't really participate in like Mm -hmm. a deeper meaningful way i'm like you could be anywhere Mm -hmm. there are fun things to do in other places like i know new orleans is really fun Mm -hmm. but like deeply more than that it is and i watch people move here for, you know, and I I know within a year if they're going to be here for the long term. <laughs> I don't know if that happens with you.
1: I'd say so. You know, in recent years, I feel like I've seen I've seen a lot more people leaving than I have. You know, been meeting new people coming in, and some of that's just where I am in life and things. I've been but... meeting a
0: lot of people coming in, and the thing is, is they skew really
1: young. Okay, that's been, good. That's yeah, really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been
0: meeting a lot of people coming in lately, um, but yeah, I just feel like there there's two ways to live in a city, and and. In New Orleans, the strife of our crappy everything, (laughs) you know, like our city. It's a steep price to pay. Yeah, it is. It's like, oh, it's fun, but it's also like super corrupt and it's going to make you mad and your shit's going to get stolen and you're going to run into some stuff that has to make it worth it. Mm -hmm. And then those are the people that turn around and say, oh, I can't live there. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's worth it if you're invested in your community and you Mm -hmm. find yourself like you really do the work to
1: put yourself here, you know? And some of us just don't belong anywhere else and just can't even consider exactly. the possibility. And so if you're stuck here, you, you got to make it work. You make it work. You care about it. That's mm-hmm. so
0: real. I really appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, how was your Mardi Gras this year?
1: Oh, it was wonderful. It was so great to get back out there. And I wore a comfortable costume for Ooh, once, so that yeah, was I fun. I did too. I did too. I did too. <laughs> And like to see people who I hadn't seen since literally Mardi Gras Day two years ago. And it was it was a beautiful moment that's like, oh, I think we all really needed this to like feel like this is this is our city that has been a little weird for two years now so (laughs) it's so real I had such a good Mardi Gras
0: I also wore a comfortable costume this year it's so funny I feel like you might be able to relate to this you make a really every year I feel like your Mardi Gras day costume is really cool something ridiculous you invest you invest your time (laughs) you you do the thing and I feel like I used to do that too Mm -hmm. especially when I first came back after college I would be like all right all my energy into my costume you know Mm -hmm. and I was always really proud and this year I've just been like I was and and probably the year before we closed too I had just like really exceptionally busy beginning Mm -hmm. of the year you know and this year I had a breakdown (laughs) I was like costuming something for Kristen and I before a ball Mm -hmm. and I went to this thing where I was like you just assume that I'm going to make your costume too. And she was like, you don't have to. And I was like, no, I have to. I have to make yours and mine, but you just assume I'm going to make yours. And she's like, but you just said you want to. And I was like, yeah, I know I want to. And so that was part of it. And then like, I'm like hot gluing like moss to like this piece of felt. And I did something wrong. And like, I was getting down to the wire and I just like, There was a moment where I'm like in my underwear Holding like a hot glue gun And like half of a leotard in my hand Mm -hmm. And I'm hysterically crying I was so overwhelmed costuming Because this part of me that wants to have the best costume ever Has never gone away Mm -hmm. But the part of me that's like I'm old and busy and tired (laughs) And have to make some compromise I had like an identity crisis mm-hmm. while costuming <laughs> truly I don't know how to explain it I was like why am I so upset right now because I Sometimes couldn't do it's
1: it just, it's, you know Mardi Gras catharsis and there's some like rough spots on the way to that so. <laughs> how do you not have a panic attack while you're making your costume you know I, I it's my like primary creative outlet I don't do anything how else long do creative. you take to make it I usually come up with the idea like around like Christmas break or You're something, okay, and yeah, I'm like, plan. okay, so like I need to get some supplies. Surprise, surprise! The and, urban like, planner work on plans. Some, yeah, for real, and like work on some pieces and parts here and there. You know, I had a we had a sort of costume making party with uh, my partner Ian and Ariadne early, like way early in the season. Like, yeah. let's get some progress on this. Uh, and then at the end, it's always this sort of a crazy shuffle. My my, my partner is like, he waits until the very last minute and then has the most elaborate idea ever. And it takes him like nonstop 24 hours a day. He's like up late every night trying to, trying to get there. He gets there, but his version is way more stressful. So I like the, like, we're going to ease into it.
0: (laughs) That's smart. I think I need to just like do a better job next year if I want to actually have a costume. But literally this year I said to so many people, I was like, I get why people pay to have their costumes made now? Mm-hmm. Like I get it now. I never got it before. I was such a purist. Mm-hmm. I was like, you, it's DIY or die, you know. <laughs> and now I'm like, but maybe there's somebody. As long would... as it's somebody else's DIY, yeah, like, they like, did it. I want it to like, be one of a kind. yeah, I want it to be one of a kind. Exactly. And mm-hmm. I don't want it to be like this, like buy, like buy and flip, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this year I was like, man, I'm tired. It came out fine. I just wound up wearing my <laughs> my, doing my jacket on Mardi Gras day. But another cool thing we did this Mardi Gras is we decided every Sunday before Mardi Gras we're going to wear the same costume every year because we're going to do the grandma crew. We have nice. the, our friends all dressed as grandmas. <laughs> so now we'll do the same thing. And I'm like, that's so easy because that's just one costume. Planned. Yeah. I don't have to think of. All it is, is a muumuu. It's so mm.
1: comfortable. Okay, so you just bought a ho- wait, you bought a house in 2020, so pandemic. I bought a house in November 2020. Yes. Dang, so, all right. pandemic, but like before the market went nuts. So, like, whoo, thank goodness cuz yeah, it wouldn't have this ha- last ha- year for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I I I bought it and I it's a double. So, I did the classic approach of like, I qualify for this mortgage by Buying it and renting out the other right. half. I rent out the other half to my partner, which is perfect. <laughs> and everybody needs to do this. It's, it's, it's genius. The exact right amount of togetherness. That sounds great. Somebody's paying, you know, half your mortgage and can do all the repairs and things if they happen to be extremely handy. Uh, so this is my like relationship advice to New Orleans: is <laughs> consider the double. <laughs> It's an option, and it's a good one.
0: That is so good. How long have y'all been together? Uh, Going on four years. That's
1: awesome. Do you do you guys ever stay on each other's sides? Oh yeah, 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. He stays on my side more than I stay on his side, but like you know, there's there's a good balance. We've got a mix. We've got options. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I would be fine with that, honestly. Chris, Kristen's a trainer, so
0: sometimes she trains at five a.m. and I joke that like she wakes up and she just like. Mm-hmm. like just start slamming things and she's I can tell she's trying <laughs> so hard to be quiet I can tell she is but she is the opposite of quiet and if we had a double I'd be like on the nights you have to wake up at or in the mornings you wake up at 5am you sleep on the
1: other side yeah, exactly my partner's a teacher so he stays up sometimes grading until the wee hours oh, in the morning yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. it's a good balance so it's shotgun shotgun yeah hell yeah and where'd you buy uh, according to the city by water, but okay. no, it's the part it's on the other side of St. Claude, so nobody would actually think of it as that, so oh. it's St. It's Claude oh, Okay, Upper yeah. Ninth Ward yeah, um. yeah, 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 That's what's up, you yeah. like it? I love it I realized early on because I'm a nerd and I was digging through like city code to, I, I don't know what I was doing in city code, I discovered that my neighborhood is technically a bird refuge like it's legally designated as such, what? Uh, and so then I got really into birding because it was COVID also and like why not feed the birds just to keep track of what you got and it really is a bird refuge there's like a million different kinds of birds that live what? around the house
0: what's the most surprising bird or what's your favorite bird
1: I really like the the black crown or the yellow crown night herons that, that oh live God, in the oaks what? on Poland Avenue Whoa. Uh, we've got these like crazy red house finches all the time now uh, you know hummingbird season has just started again we saw a woodpecker the other day oh so. I see woodpeckers uh-huh. around here sometimes so we got we got a good diversity of them that's really <laughs> cute you'd think that in the middle of a city you wouldn't be able they get that. New Orleans got some nature man it does mostly possums it does yeah I had we have we've got, we've got ninth ward chickens running around everywhere so of course so many chickens one of, I've been trying to lure them in because one time one of them laid a whole bunch of eggs in my yard and I was like yes this is amazing and so I've been trying to get her to do it again she finally did and then the next day a rat came and ate them all so uh, no. now she's she's pissed at me this chicken is like oh. furious because she thinks I did it yeah uh, so we got wildlife it's
0: it's a good spot man I love the the little random street chickens mm-hmm. they really run the city
1: Mm-hmm. they got some confidence to just like crossing street and don't care oh yeah uh, yeah. my partner's cat got out one time and was like chasing the kittens or the, 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 chickens. the chickens and the the chickens won the chickens showed him who was boss and that cat has not tried to mess chickens with chickens are against. mean
0: man <laughs> they're mean they're terrifying mm-hmm. okay Tara I ask everybody the same last question I yes. know you've watched some episodes so you might know that yes. this is coming I like to see who do you think should be on the podcast maybe somebody that doesn't get the light shined on them that should mm.
1: So, I got, I got a few ideas. Let's see. So, okay. we've been talking about sort of, you know, the, the culture and New Orleans piece. But I also think, I think you should talk to Andrew. Andrew Marin. Okay. You, you think you, I don't know if you know I him. I don't know Oh, no. he's Tell my me. boy. Okay. Uh, so, he's a... Semi-professional eater and drinker and booster of the New Orleans, like, hospitality industry. You know, he's former industry, uh, but now he just, he loves it. He's another one of those. He tried to leave New Orleans. What does he do? He he used to work in insurance, so he's had sort of a normal straight job for a long time. He's like a lover. He's just... He's an enthusiast and Hell yeah. very talented, and knows his stuff. Oh, so that's a good one. Uh, talk to talk to Ethan at Macno if you want to talk to the okay. to talk more about the gentrification scene. Who's and, that? Uh, he's the executive director of the Music and Culture Coalition of New Orleans. I actually don't know him personally, but uh-huh. we went to UNO at the same time for our planning degrees um and does a lot to just advocate for the musicians and you know the folks who work downtown and the people cool. who make the city so he would he would know some stuff yeah about these people sound like my kind of that. people uh yeah let's see who else we got uh my friend janelle campion she's a jackson square artist so mm-hmm. if you want to talk to the the visual arts yeah. side of what things. kind of art does she make um she makes she makes wonderful art uh i don't know how you would describe it it's got sort of a folk art aesthetic uh-huh. uh she had just these these wonderful series involving uh bodies skeleton bodies i have
0: Ooh. bits of her
1: work in almost every room of my house at That's this point uh, and just the, the world of the jackson square you know, she lives in the quarter. she works at jackson square oh hell it's yeah a life. um I want yeah. that life that's like fun <laughs> I might also hit up uh, Ron Brody of the uh, ice cream speakeasy oh, I don't know I, if you know him. I've heard of the ice cream speakeasy I don't know this person fascinating dude uh, we've known each other for years and uh, you know he, he makes the best ice cream in town and also is, is an educator and a naturalist and all sorts of stuff like that I feel like I had a couple more ideas I knew but... you and no cool people Tara <laughs> look you're hired you're gonna
0: be my new booker uh-huh. <laughs> I'm gonna need you next season absolutely you're one of my last episodes of this season oh how exciting yeah it's really exciting 12 episodes we've recorded nice I know I'm very proud of us what a robust first season effort truly truly I could not I could not do it without Carrie it's truly I'm so grateful for you to be here and for everyone that's been here this season so you the best Appreciate you. I'm so glad that you came. I'm so glad that we learned so much. (laughs) My brain feels so much bigger. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Planet Nola. I'm your host, Mary Jacobs. This has been Tara Tolford. We have been talking about everything, infrastructure, everything New Orleans. If you care about this city, go do something for it. Pay attention to what's going on. Pay attention to people that are doing work like this. Ask questions, learn, and advocate for your community because... It's what we got. It's what we got. If we want to keep it nice and good, we really have to give a shit, you know, to put it lightly. Um, I appreciate y'all so much for listening. If you have it in your heart, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, share this with a friend. That's how we're going to get more ears on this podcast, and we want as many ears as possible. Thank you again to our guest, Tara, and my producer, Carrie. Y'all be in touch.